0: SOJOURN CHAPTER THREE THE WHELPS Nathak, a spindly armed goblin, made his way slowly up the steep, rocky incline. Every step waited with dread. The goblin had to report his findings. Five dead knolls could not be ignored, but the unfortunate creature seriously doubted that either Ulgulu or Kempfana would willingly accept the news. Still, What options did Nothak have? He could run away, flee down the other side of the mountain, and off into the wilderness. That seemed an even more desperate course, though, for the goblin knew well Ulgulu's taste for vengeance. The great purple-skinned master could tear a tree from the ground with his bare hands, could tear handfuls of stone from the cave wall, and could readily tear the throat from a deserting goblin. Every step brought a shudder as Nothok moved beyond the concealing scrub into the small entry room of his master's cave complex. Bout's time, uses his back. One of the other two goblins in the room snorted. He's been gone for two days. Nothok just nodded and took a deep breath. What are you for? The third goblin said. Did you find it in the gnolls? Nothok's face blanched and no amount of deep breathing could relieve the fit that came over the goblins. O'Gulu in there? he asked, squeamishly. The two goblin guards looked curiously at each other, then back to Nathak. He finded the knolls, one of them remarked, guessing the problem. Dead knolls O'Gulu won't be glad, the other piped in. And they moved apart, one of them lifting the heavy curtain that separated the entry room from the audience chamber. Nathak hesitated and started to look back, as though reconsidering the whole course. Perhaps flight would be preferable, he thought. The goblin guards grabbed their spindly companion and roughly shoved him into the audience chamber, crossing their spears behind Nathak to prevent any retreat. Nathak managed to find a measure of composure when he saw that it was Kemphana— not Ulgulu sitting in the huge chair across the room. Kempfana had earned a reputation among the goblin ranks as the calmer of the ruling brothers, though Kempfana too, had impulsively devoured enough of his minions to earn their healthy respect. Kempfana hardly took note of the goblin's entrance, instead busily conversing with Lagerbottoms, the fat hill giant that formerly claimed the cave complex as his own. Nathak shoveled across the room, Drawing the gazes of both the hill giant and the huge, nearly as large as the hill giant, scarlet-skinned goblinoid. Yes, Nathak, Kempfana prompted, silencing the hill giant's forthcoming protest with a simple wave of his hand. What have you to report? Me, 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 Nathak stuttered. Kempfana's large eyes suddenly glowed orange—a clear sign of dangerous excitement. M- "'Me-me-me-me-me-finded the nose,' Nothak blurted. "'Dead. Uh, killed it.' Laggerbottoms issued a low and threatening growl, but Kemphana clutched the hill giant's arm tightly, reminding him who was in charge. "'Dead?' the scarlet-skinned goblin asked quietly. Nothak nodded. Kemphana lamented the loss of such reliable slaves— but the jest Whelp's thoughts at that moment were more centered on his brother's inevitable, volatile reaction to the news. Kemphana didn't have to wait long. Dead! came a roar that nearly split the stone. All three monsters in the room instinctively ducked and turned to the side, just in time to see a huge boulder, the crude door to another room, burst out and go skipping off to the side. Oogulu! Nothak squealed and the little goblin fell face down to the floor, not daring to look. The huge, purple-skinned goblin-like creature stormed into the audience chamber, his eyes seething in orange glowing rage. Three great strides took Oogulu right up beside the hill giant, and Laggerbottoms suddenly seemed very small and vulnerable. Dead? Oogulu roared again in rage. As the goblin tribe had diminished... Killed either by the humans of the village or by other monsters, or eaten by Ulgulu during his customary fits of anger, the small Knoll band had become the primary capturing force for the lair. Kemphana cast an ugly glare at his larger sibling. They had come to the material plane together, two Bargest whelps to eat and grow. Ulgulu had promptly claimed dominance, devouring the strongest of their victims and thus growing larger and stronger. By the color of Ugulu's skin and by his sheer size and strength, it was apparent that the whelp would soon be able to return to the reeking valley rifts of Gehenna. Kempfana hoped that day was near. When Ugulu was gone, he would rule. He would eat and grow stronger. Then, Kempfana, too, could escape his interminable weaning period on this cursed plain— could return to compete among the bar jest on their rightful plane of existence. Dead, uh, U'gulu growled again. Get up, wretched goblin, and tell me how. What did this to my knolls? that groveled a minute longer, then managed to rise to his knees. Me, no, no, the goblin whimpered. Nol's dead, slashed and ripped. Ugulu rocked back on the heels of his floppy, oversized feet. The gnolls had gone off to raid a farmhouse, with orders to return with the farmer and his oldest son. Those two hearty human meals would have strengthened the great bar considerably, perhaps even bringing Ugulu to the level of maturation he needed to return to Gehenna. Now, in light of Nathak's report... Ugulu would have to send Lagerbottoms, or perhaps even go himself, and the sight of either the giant or the purple-skinned monstrosity could prompt the human settlement to dangerous, organized action. Demphonus! Ugulu roared suddenly. Over on the far wall, across from where Ugulu had made his crashing entrance, a small pebble dislodged and fell. The drop was only a few feet, but by the time the pebble hit the floor... A slender sprite had zipped out of the small cubby he used as a bedroom, crossed the twenty feet of the audience hall, and ran right up Ugulu's side to sit comfortably atop the barjess's immense shoulder. You called for me. Yes, you did. My master. Tifanus buzzed too quickly. The others hadn't even realized that the two-foot-tall sprite had entered the room. Kempfana turned away, shaking his head in amazement. Ugulu roared with laughter. He so loved to witness the spectacle of Tifanus, his most prized servant. Tifanus was a quickling, a diminutive sprite that moved in dimension that transcended the normal concept of time. Possessing boundless energy and the agility that would shame the most proficient halfling thief, quicklings could perform many tasks that no other race could even attempt. Ugulu had befriended Tifanus early in his tenure on the material plane, Tifanus was the only member of the lair's diverse tenants that the Barges did not claim rulership over, and that bond had given the young whelp a distinct advantage over his sibling. With Tifanus scouting over potential victims, Ugulu knew exactly which ones to devour and which ones to leave to Kempfana, and knew exactly how to win against these adventurers more powerful than he. Ah, dear Tifanus, Ugulu purred in an odd sort of grating sound. "'Nothak. Poor Nothak!' The goblin didn't miss the implications of that reference. "'Has informed me that my knolls have met with disaster.' "'And you want me to go and see what happened to them, my master?' Tifanus replied. U'gulu took a moment to decipher the nearly unintelligible string of words, then nodded eagerly. "'Right away, my master. Be back soon.' Ulgulu felt a slight shiver on his shoulder, but by the time he, or any of the others, realized what Tifanus had said, the heavy drape separating the chamber from the entry room was floating back to its hanging position. One of the goblins poked its head in for just a moment to see if Kempfana or Ugulu had summoned it, then returned to its station, thinking the drape's movement a trick of the wind. Ugulu roared in laughter again. Kempfana cast him a disgusted glare, Kempfana hated the sprite and would have killed it long ago, except that he couldn't ignore the potential benefits, assuming that Tifanus would work for him once Ugulu had returned to Kehenna. Nathak slipped one foot behind the other, meaning to silently retreat from the room. Ugulu stopped the goblin with a look. Your report served me well, the bar just started. Nathak relaxed. But only for the moment it took for Ugulu's great hand to shoot out, catch the goblin by the throat, and lift Nathak from the floor. But it would have served me better if you had taken the time to find out what happened to my nose. Nathak swooned and nearly fainted, and by the time half of his body had been stuffed into Ugulu's eager mouth, the spindly armed goblin wished he had. Rub the behind, "'Ease the pain. Switch it brings it back again. Rub the behind. Ease the pain. Switch it brings it back again.' Liam Thistledown repeated over and over, a litany to take his concentration from the burning sensation beneath his breeches, a litany that mischievous Liam knew all too well. This time was different, though, with Liam actually admitting to himself, after a while, that he had indeed run out on his chores.' But the Drizzit was true, Liam growled defiantly. As if in answer to his statement, the Shed's door opened just a crack, and Shawno, the second youngest to Liam, and Eleni, the only sister, slipped in. Got yourself into it this time, Eleni scolded in her best big sister voice. Bad enough you run off when there's work to be done, but coming home with such tales? The Drizzit was true, Liam protested. Not appreciating Ellie's pseudo-mothering, Liam could get into enough trouble with just his parents scolding him. He didn't need Eleni's ever-sharp hindsight. "'Black as Connor's anvil, and with a lion just as black!' "'Quiet, you both,' Shawno warned. "'If Dad's to learn that we're out here talking as such, he'll whip the lot of us.' "'Drizzit,' Eleni huffed doubtfully. "'True,' Liam protested too loudly bringing a stinging slap from Shano. The three turned, faces ashen, when the door swung open. Get in here, Eleni whispered harshly, grabbing Flanny, who was a bit older than Shano, but three years Eleni's junior, by the collar and hoisting him into the woodshed. Shano, always the worrier of the group, quickly poked his head outside to see that no one was watching, then softly closed the door. You should not be spying on us, Eleni protested. How'd I know you was in here? Flanny shot back. I just came to tease a Little One. He looked at Liam, twisted his mouth, and waved his fingers menacingly in the air. Where, where? Flanny crooned. I'm the drizzet. Come to eat, little boys. Liam turned away, but Shauna was not so impressed. Ah, oh, shut up. He growled at Flanny, emphasizing his point with a slap on the back of his brother's head. Flanny turned to retaliate, but Eleni stepped between them. Stop it, Eleni cried, so loudly that all four thistledown children slapped a finger over their lips and said, Shh! The drizzle was true, Liam protested again. I can prove it, if you're not too scared. Liam's three siblings eyed him curiously. He was a notorious fibber, they all knew, but what now would be the gain? Their father hadn't believed Liam, and that was all that mattered as far as the punishment was concerned. Yet Liam was adamant, and his tone told them that there was substance behind the proclamation. "'How can you prove the drizzet?' Flanny asked. "'We've got no chores tomorrow,' Liam replied. "'We'll go blueberry-picking in the mountains.' "'Ma and Daddy would never let us,' Eleni put in. "'They would if we could get Connor to go along.' said Liam, referring to their oldest brother. Connor'd not believe you, Eleni argued. But he'd believe you, Liam replied sharply, drawing another communal shh. I don't believe you, Eleni retorted quietly. You're always making things up, always causing trouble, and then lying to get out of it. Liam crossed his little arms over his chest and stamped one foot impatiently at his sister's continuing stream of logic. "'But you will believe me,' Liam growled, "'if you get Connor to go.' "'Ah, do it,' Flanny pleaded to Eleni, though Shano, thinking of the potential consequences, shook his head. "'So we go up into the mountains,' Eleni said to Liam, prompting him to continue and thus revealing his agreement." Liam smiled widely and dropped to one knee, collecting a pile of sawdust in which to draw a rough map of the area where he had encountered the drizzet. His plan was a simple one using Eleni, casually picking blueberries, as bait. The four brothers would follow secretly and watch as she feigned a twisted ankle or some other injury. Distress had brought the drizzet before. Surely, with a pretty young girl as bait, it would bring the drizzet again. Eleni balked at the idea not thrilled at being planted as a worm on a hook. "'But you don't believe me anyway,' Liam quickly pointed out. His inevitable smile, complete with a gaping hole where a tooth had been knocked out, showed that her own stubbornness had cornered her. "'So I'll do it, then,' Eleni huffed. "'And I don't believe in your drizzet,' Liam Thistledown. "'But if the lion is real and I get chewed, I'll tan you good.' With that, Eleni turned and stormed out of the woodshed. Liam and Flanny spit in their hands, then turned daring glares on Shawno until he overcame his fears. Then the three brothers brought their palms together in a triumphant wet slap. Any disagreements between them always seemed to vanish whenever one of them found a way to bother Eleni. None of them told Connor about their planned hunt for the drizzet. Rather, Eleni reminded him of the many favors he owed her and promised that she would consider the debt paid in full, but only after Liam had agreed to take on Connor's debt if they didn't find the drizzet, if Connor would only take her and the boys' blueberry-picking. Connor grumbled and balked, complaining about some shoeing that needed to be done on one of the mares, but he could never resist his little sister's batting blue eyes and wide, bright smile, and Eleni's promise of erasing his considerable debt had sealed his fate. With his parents' blessing... "'Connor led the Thistledown children up into the mountains, "'buckets in the children's hands, "'and a crude sword belted at his hip. "'Drizd saw the ruse coming "'long before the farmer's young daughter "'moved out alone into the blueberry patch. "'He, too, saw the four Thistledown boys "'crouched in the shadows of a nearby grove of maple trees, "'Connor somewhat less than expertly brandishing the crude sword. "'The youngest had led them here, Drizd knew.' The day before, the drow had witnessed the boy being pulled into the woodshed. Cries of Drizzt had issued forth after every switch, at least at the beginning. Now, the stubborn lad had wanted to prove his outrageous story. The blueberry picker jerked suddenly, then fell to the ground and cried out. Drizzt recognized, ''Help!'' as the same distress call that the sandy-haired boy had used, and a smile widened across his dark face. By the ridiculous way the girl had fallen... Drizzt saw the game for what it was. The girl was not injured now. She was simply calling out for the Drizzt. With an incredulous shake of his thick white mane, Drizzt started away, but an impulse grabbed at him. He looked back to the blueberry patch, where the girl sat rubbing her ankle, all the while glancing nervously around or back toward her concealed brothers. Something pulled at Drizzt's heartstrings at that moment, an urge he could not resist. How long had he been alone— "'wandering without companionship. "'He longed for Belwar at that moment, "'the Serf Neblin who had accompanied him "'through the trials in the wilds of the Underdark. "'He longed for Zak Nefane, his father and friend. "'Seeing the interplay between the caring siblings "'was more than Drizzt Arden could bear. "'The time had come for Drizzt to meet his neighbors. "'Drizzt hiked the hood of his oversized knoll cloak "'up over his head, "'though the ragged garment did little "'to hide the truth of his heritage.' and bound across the field. He hoped that he could at least deflect the girl's initial reaction at seeing him. He might find a way to communicate with her. The hopes were far-fetched at best. The Drizzet Eleni gasped under her breath when she saw him coming. She wanted to cry out loud but found no breath. She wanted to run, but her terror held her firmly. From the copse of trees, Liam spoke for her. The Drizzet, The boy cried. I told you so! I told you so! He looked to his brothers, and Flanny and Shauna were having the expected, excited reactions. Connor's face, though, was locked onto a look of dread so profound that one glance had stolen the joy from Liam. By the gods! The eldest Thistledown's son muttered. Connor had adventured with his father and had been trained to spot enemies. He looked now to his three confused brothers and muttered a single word that explained nothing to the inexperienced boys. Drow? Drizd stopped a dozen paces from the frightened girl, the first human woman he had seen up close, and studied her. Eleni was pretty by any race's standards, with huge, soft eyes, dimpled cheeks, and a smooth golden skin. Drizd knew there would be no fight here. He smiled at Eleni, crossed his arms gently over his chest. Drizd, he corrected, pointing to his chest. A movement to his side turned him away from the girl. Run, Eleni! Connor Thistledown cried, waving his sword and bearing down on the drow. It's a dark elf, a drow! Run for your life! Of all that Connor had cried, Drizzt only understood the word drow. The young man's attitude and intent could not be mistaken, though, for Connor charged straight between Drizzt and Eleni, his sword tip pointed Drizzt's way. Eleni managed to get her feet behind her brother, but she did not flee as he instructed. She, too, had heard of the evil Dark Elves, and she would not leave Connor to face one alone. "'Turn away, Dark Elf,' Connor growled. "'I'm an expert swordsman, and much stronger than you are.' Drizzt held his hands out helplessly, not understanding a word. "'Turn away!' Connor yelled. On an impulse, Drizzt tried to reply in the drow silent code, an intricate language of hand and facial gestures. "'He's casting a spell!' Eleni cried, and she dove down into the blueberries. Connor shrieked and charged. Before Connor even knew of the counter, Driz grabbed him by the forearm, used his other hand to twist the boy's wrist and take away the sword, spun the crude weapon three times over Connor's head, flipped it on his slender hand, and handed it, hilt first, back to the boy. Drizzt held his arms out wide and smiled. In drow custom, such a show of superiority without injuring the opponent invariably signaled a desire for friendship. To the oldest son of farmer Bartholomew Thistledown, the drow's blinding display brought only awe-inspired terror. Connor stood, mouth agape, for a long moment. His sword fell from his hand, but he didn't notice. His pants, soiled, clung to his thighs, but he didn't notice a scream erupted from somewhere within Connor. He grabbed Eleni, who joined in his scream, and they fled back to the grove to collect the others, then, farthering, running until they crossed the threshold of their own home. Drizd was left, his smile fast fading and his arms out wide, standing all alone in the blueberry patch. A set of dizzily darting eyes had watched the exchange in the blueberry patch with more than a casual interest. The unexpected appearance of a dark elf, particularly one wearing a knoll cloak, had answered many questions for Tiffanus. The quickling sleuth had already examined the knoll corpses, but simply could not reconcile the knoll's fatal wounds with the crude weapons usually wielded by the simple village farmers. Seeing the magnificent twin scimitars so casually belted at the dark elf's hips, and the ease with which the dark elf had dispatched the farm boy, Tiffanus knew the truth. The dust trail left by the quickling would have confused the best rangers in the realms. Tiffanus, never a straightforward sprite, zipped up the mountain trails, spinning circuits around some trees, running up and down the sides of others, and generally doubling, even tripling his route. Distance never bothered Tiffanus. He stood before the purple-skinned bargesse whelp even before Drizzt, considering the implications of the disastrous meeting, had left the blueberry patch.